0: Hello everyone, producer Corbin here. Welcome back to A Hoop's Journey. So today we have a very, very special episode for you guys. And it has been a long process to edit and figure out and organize how I wanted to do this episode. So you'll be hearing my voice a little bit more than usual in most episodes. It's a little bit of a different flavor. We have the main interview with, of course, Bruce Enns and Mitch, and we have special guests. Dom Zimmerman and Ross Tomlinson. And Bruce, if you're listening, well, when you listen to this episode, I'm not sure if Dom or Ross or even Mitch told you, but we organized a little roundtable of former players and managers and coaches during your time at UBC just to share some stories and tell the people about how you've impacted their lives. So, and I'll be trying to intro and fill in whatever I can in terms of. Introductions and places where the audio gets a little funky, so this is a different take on the regular programming of a hoops journey, but Mitch and I hope that you enjoy it because this man is a legend. Welcome to the Bruce Ends episode.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a hoops journey. Uh, For a pretty special episode here, we're going to do something pretty original. We have a man who's probably top three fans of the show, I would say. Hey, Corbs, the uh, the amount of things that he's already reeled off that he's listened to. He knows your name and the meaning of your name. He does pay Mm -hmm. attention probably more than most. I would probably stop listening to my voice, too. But for some reason, he continues to listen. A legendary coach to many. A great man, a man who is connected with so many people, working his way through some Parkinson's and someone that we've wanted to have on this show for a while. We've been going back and forth this summer to figure it out and we're going to see what we can do with with Coach here today. Um, Try to get him to sort of express some of his words and his thoughts, but we also have Mr. Dominic Zimmerman and uh, one of his longtime assistant coaches at UBC, Mr. Ross Tomlinson. Um, to sort of help guide and get us through this episode and I think it's a pretty cool thing and it's pretty special. We've talked a lot about relationships, we've talked a lot about culture and we talked a lot about family and you know these two gentlemen were more than willing to have this you know sort of support system behind Coach and we're super excited to have none other than Mr. Bruce ends with us today. Coach, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. It's great to hear from you and it's great to see that you're able to put this together
1: somehow. Of course. You know, anything honestly for you, you know, I, you've heard me talk about you in, in our show and kind of, you know, I never had the pleasure of being coached by you, but uh, the connection with my brother, obviously Dom, Ross, so many other people. Um, it's an absolute thrill to have you on and try to share your story. I'm not sure how much you want to kind of get into your current situation or if you want to just jump into your episode here and, and chat a little bit about you know, because I think there's some connections and things that people don't know about you. Maybe they just connect you to being a T bird for life. But there's lots about you and kind of basketball in your life, if I'm correct.
2: Uh, it's certainly true. You go ahead and ask the questions and I'll try my best to see if I can answer.
1: Sounds good. All right. So where were you born?
2: I was actually born in Chilliwack and not too far from Vancouver in 1944.
1: Awesome. And so, Chilliwack Life, how did basketball sort of start to come into your life? Was there was there someone that you wanted to be like? Was there a coach? Did you just learn to fall in love with the game, dribbling around? Or, you know, I think that's the unique part about this show is everybody's had a different introduction to the sport of basketball. And how did you sort of start to have basketball be a part of you?
2: I think uh, that part is Dominic has got that in blue, right?
3: In red. In red. Yeah, I do. I do. I just wanted to say what an honor it is to be here uh, I know ross Ross Tomlinson and myself are just so happy to to be able to be here so i 'm blessed to be able to read this to read this you know just some of the answers that you that you that you wrote down here and uh, you know you talk about relationships and and culture and all that stuff and 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 Bruce, you had a huge impact on me, so this is an absolute honor to be able to uh, read a little bit about your story so so your experience growing up and playing sports and basketball, as, as Bruce just said, he was born in 1944 in Chilliwack, but his family moved soon moved to Kelowna after his birth, uh, which at the time was a budding metropolis of 6,000 people. At age six, uh, Bruce moved 67 miles south to Oliver, home of that famous Viking Spencer McKay and that <laughs> infamous Thunderbird Moe Basso. This was a town of around 1500 people, and it was a wonderful place to grow up and to learn about sports. Bruce's very best friend uh, was a man by the name of Gunnar Kuhn. He was a recent German immigrant who quickly (laughs) took Bruce by his side and taught him how to play soccer.
1: That's why he got you to do this part. He knew you'd get the Kuhn correct with the German, right? He knew Ross (laughs) would blow it, so he's like, you gotta get the German to say the German name, am I right?
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the German pronunciation exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
4: my my mother's <laughs> maiden name is Zinn. I don't think I would have blown up. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> so his best friend Gunnar Kuhn was he was a recent German immigrant who
3: quickly took to Bruce uh, took took him by his side and taught him how to play taught, taught him how to play soccer. Uh, Gunnar was fantastic, leading Bruce's team. Uh, basically, they were a bunch of runts, and they made it all the way to the Valley Championship. Uh, the final score of that game was 3-0, and who scored every goal? Bruce Enns did, thanks to Gunnar, who controlled the game and somehow managed to give Bruce the ball in front of the open net three times. At least that's the way uh, Bruce recalls the game, but he has been known to possess a selective memory, which uh, which I can definitely attest to. I'm sure Ross can as well. Uh, no, Bruce wasn't Richie Cunningham, but Gunnar was his Fonz, uh, his Fonzie. Though unaware of racism at the time, through this friendship with Gunnar, uh, that Gunnar's Gunnar's title the DP displaced person was only part of the hostility that Kuhn's family felt in their early years as Canadians. Uh, Little did we know back then that that Gunnar would move on to become a star player for the Simon Fraser basketball team. Uh, He's not quite sure when, but always a top student in every class, Gunnar went back to Europe where he became one of Europe's leading and most famous opera impresarios. Bruce's father's name is Peter. Uh, His family had immigrated from southern Russia in 1923. Uh, Peter had a master's degree in agriculture, but had no knowledge nor experience in sports. But he loved Bruce. He loved him. Though it must have been seen as an unnecessary extravagance at the time, he presented me with a light green transistor radio for for my eighth birthday. So I'm speaking. Yes, love it. (laughs) This gift turned out to be transformative for young Bruce. First, the sounds from this radio sparked a lifelong obsession in him to grab information about politics, music, theology, and all kinds of culture and sports. Baseball, in particular, fascinated Bruce. And before long, he was glued to his transistor radio long after the lights went out. What about about
1: drinking your Ovaltine? Huh? Christmas Story? Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Were you the kid? (laughs) Come on. Shout out to the Christmas Story fans out there. I see Ross shaking. He gets it. (laughs) It's a classic film.
3: The first player that, uh, that Bruce was into was uh, a man by the name of Steve Bilko. He, Steve Bilko. He was a slugger from the Sacramento Solon. Later, in 1956, after mom and dad decided, without his permission, to move to the huge city of Winnipeg, the station changed to KMOX St. Louis. Harry Carey and Jack Buck introduced him yes. to Bob Gibson and the Cardinals.
1: Oh, sorry to hear that from a Cubs fan. <laughs> Are you a Cards fan, coach? I was. Well, that's it for Hoops Journey. What a great episode. Uh, we'll see everyone. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. It's all right. You're lucky you're a good guy.
3: So that was it. Bruce's life ambition. I can remember Bruce talking about baseball uh, and what an impact it had on it, on him as a kid. So that was it. He said his life's ambition was set. Reg Shonendienst wasn't good enough for me. And, I set, and he set out to become the world's next great shortstop.
1: Pretty cool, though, Coach, to hear those stories and for the generation gap, right? I mean, you know, we're younger than, than you or a different vintage, but you know, we still had to walk up to the TV and turn the dial where there was no remote, but I think the beautiful part about radio, which I'm sure if you want to just talk about, talk on is creating those images in your head of what those people look like of the game. So I can only imagine, you know, you're hearing your favorite player up to bat and you can't see it. So you're trying to imagine it in your head and that just creates such a, a great, kind of memory and your brain works so differently when you just hear it through radio you know what I mean sometimes when I'm a Cubs game I love just throwing on the radio just to hear it from a different standpoint you know that must have been kind of a fun way to get your imagination going as a young guy
2: well it's very special that's for sure Mm -hmm. but nowadays it still is the imagination is still critical because I'm trying to pick up the Paralympic games basketball games and every time I go to YouTube it says it will not play in my country so i'm having to watch the games by play by play Where uh, every five seconds or so something comes up telling you what happened but uh,
0: imagination is critical
1: it's come full circle yeah who would have thought in 2021 you're still uh, having to use that that's cool
0: this is kevin keeler
5: all right so bruce ends first of all it has to start with the fact that without him, I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have my children. Uh, so I th- often think to myself, thank you, Bruce ends." when I look around and see where I live and the people I surround myself with. The second thing is more basketball and when I left St. Mary's, I could—I I left with my old coach. I could hear his voice screaming in my ear, speed it up, get it off, speed it up. And I was like, like, he kept telling me I had to get my shot off faster. I had to get my shot off. So all I ever did to compensate to get my shot off faster was do everything slightly faster. So I was often in a rush, but when I showed up at UBC and Bruce realized... I needed to be able to get my shot off more quickly. Uh, he broke it down and and gave me really concrete things to work on, like just something as simple as being ready to shoot it before you get it. It wasn't just catch, dip, and then get into your shot. I was already ready to shoot it, and uh, he taught me that. So I was really able to speed up my shot, and that was a real concrete kind of mechanical thing that he gave me. The other thing was that Bruce was one of the first coaches that I ever played for that was somewhat positionless, especially sort of one through three. So he... Was sort of a before his time in that I I felt where you, just because you were a small quote unquote small forward or a three man when you caught the ball he he really encouraged you to to put it on the floor and bring it up the court and those perimeter positions were really uh, interchangeable and the the final way that Bruce ends has impacted my life occurred to me after my own episode and his feedback meant more to me than anybody else's when he reached out with an email telling me how much he enjoyed listening to me talk or ramble on uh it it meant the most to me it was an email I actually read it out loud to my children because it was that important to me it brought tears to my eyes and that he respected me and loved me and gave me the encouragement that I needed to to be who I am so thank you Bruce Cheers. I knew you couldn't do it, man. I knew you Fair. couldn't do it. it this is
1: 0%. The Vegas odds would have been so bad on that. If you bet five <laughs> bucks, you would have got like three cents back on Keeler under 60 seconds, man. <laughs> well said.
3: So Bruce's life goal was to become the world's next great shortstop. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Back in Oliver, he had started to play baseball and became pretty good. But fate reared its ugly head when... When, his big over, when their big overweight pitcher decided that sure-handed little Bruce might drop that pop fly. As the ball dropped into, my, into his glove, he felt Bobby Pinsky land on top of him. The pain in his right leg was fierce, and when he woke up the next day, he howled when he heard the doctor say, Sorry, son, but the femur is shot, and the whole leg is coming off. After informing this innocent man that he would forever be known as a guy who deprived the Cardinals of the next Ernie Banks, he relented, went to work, and six hours later, little Bruce had a new rebuilt femur reinforced with six inches of some kind of steel and eight gold screws. He thinks they're gold. His love for baseball never died. But soon after Oscar Robertson's and Bill Russell's pictures in sport magazine turned my, his visions to basketball, it was back in 1955 and Oliver and Gunnar and I made coach Sarrell's team. And we, I think were the first to play in our brand new gym. That same gym made famous by Spencer McKay and that same gym where Mo Basso still coaches the Hornets to victory.
1: Shout out to those two guys had the opportunity to uh, try, try and coach against Mo. I think Corbs, we took it on the chin when you are in grade 11 in the semi-final against them, right? South Okanagan, oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah we, yeah. It was the business. Yep. Yeah. We shouldn't have just shown up. It was, yeah, it was over yeah. before it started. <laughs> yeah. It's probably the coach's fault.
6: I love now it. Dom we, doesn't,
1: Dom doesn't know like his, his awkward Germans coming out. He doesn't know. when to jump in. He's like, is this my turn? Or... Is this my turn? Like, how long <laughs> is Mitch going to talk for? How much coffee has he had
3: here? You know, I'm <laughs> <laughs> going to give you a hand signal. Like, just give me a little... Yeah, just give me a little laugh. Okay, okay perfect. It's well, funny. let's move on to Winnipeg. Mom and dad both came from solid German Mennonite stock, and I was immediately enrolled in grade 8 at MBCI, a small private religious grade 7 to 12 school. But dad, they don't even have gym in this school, said Bruce. My new best, my new best friend, Johnny Taves, took me to something called a hockey tryout. I had skated twice in Oliver, but we only turned left back then. Coach Kuba... Wanted us to turn right as well. It didn't take long, and I turned into cannon fodder for the coach as he demonstrated to the defenseman how to take lefties into the boards. One of those crushing hits was enough for me, and I was relegated back to the sport of basketball. I told you my dad loved me, and within a year, it showed again. Dad got himself onto the school board, and sure enough, a year later, we had a beautiful new gym with six baskets.
1: Is that related to like the Jonathan Taves? Is that does that go that far back or no? Because I know he's from Winnipeg, the the Blackhawks Taves, or no?
2: Uh, it's a different John Taves. This guy yeah. actually is is more famous than uh, than the Blackhawk guy.
1: You don't he, say.
2: He's a prof at the UOW. Uh,
1: okay, no relation down the way.
2: No, not that no. I know of.
1: That's interesting, though. I mean, Winnipeg, both John Taves. That's yeah.
3: The next transformative relationship I made was with (laughs) German-speaking Mr. Wettstein, the school's custodian. For some reason, he took a liking to this brash young kid and agreed to let me practice on my own every morning when he opened the school at 6.30 a.m. The next year, a couple of new guys moved into MBCI and we started a varsity team with the help of Mr. John Thiessen, a teacher we basically coerced into coaching because he said, what do I know about basketball? Mr. Thiessen was a great guy who became a lifelong friend. Our knowledge of basketball came primarily from watching other teams. The best team in Winnipeg was Vincent Matthew Massey High School. Their coach was a guy called Vic Prudent. One weekend, after watching them play three straight games, I took a chance and went down and introduced myself to him, told him about our young team, and managed to arrange a game in our gym. I don't remember many scores of our games over the years, but this one had stuck. The final score was 62-28. to 28. We got absolutely clobbered. This was yet another transformational moment, however, for our team and for me. Two years later, as seniors, we had become a pretty decent team. Though the private school league where we played was not very strong, we managed to get a couple of top-level exhibition games against Lawn and Nelson Mack two weeks before the provincial championships. We won both games by very close scores. On Monday of that big week, Mr. Thiessen called us together and gave us all the bad news. The school board, without my dad, made up some crazy rule and would not let us play. Maybe they were afraid we'd win or something. I don't know. But at the end of the week, Coach Pruden's team spanked Nelson Mack and won another championship. To tell you the truth, the main reason I went to the University of Manitoba was that it was announced in June that Coach Pruden had been hired to coach a junior varsity team. Nobody wanted to play for the Bison's varsity and suddenly all the best high school kids came to play for Pruden. There must have been 40 of the top players from Manitoba tryout. In response, the athletic department appointed John McDermott, a British badminton coach, to head up a second JV team. All players from the city's suburban schools would try out for Pruden's team, while kids from city and private schools would play for McDermott. I was crestfallen when, after a week of tryouts, we had not shot a ball. I was to become a backup guard for a fitness freak. So, Bruce, I know Coach Pr- Vic Pruden was, is, uh, is your mentor. Can you talk a little bit about him?
2: Well, I do get. A little, I think we're going to get into him a little yep. bit later, but he was a man who uh, he'd been a football quarterback himself. He understood uh, the game from a quarterback position, and he really he made basketball more than just a physical activity. And I really, really admired everything he taught about the game. We'll get more into him a little bit later, I yeah. think.
3: Yeah. yeah.
0: Next, we have former coach, John Mills and former player, Eric Butler.
7: Hey, well, thanks for this opportunity, Aaron. After the legendary Peter Mullins, there were interim coaches at UBC, but 1985 was time for the next great coach. UVic was in its title run and UBC needed an answer. And I'm always proud to say I played a part in bringing Bruce Ends to UBC. He had a proven record of success. He had a visceral passion for basketball that would appeal to the BC basketball community. He was cerebral enough to mix with the memos and pipes of the academic world. And as a recruiter, Bruce was real hard to turn down. The only question mark for me was his dogs. (laughs) He seemed to like their unconditional obedience and perpetual positive attitude. What would he do with players who were neither? Well, he proved right away that he didn't need to treat his players like dogs to get them to play. Bruce always made me proud to be a Thunderbird. I appreciate A Hoop's Journey for giving me the opportunity to offer my perspective on an important band in Thunderbird basketball history.
1: Amazing. Well done, sir. Thank you.
7: How was the time Uh, on that one, Aaron? Was that okay?
1: (laughs) You clearly know how to follow instructions better than Keeler. It's scary that he's a teacher, but he's an art teacher, so it's, you know... (laughs) <laughs> All right, Butts, you're up, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks for being with us.
8: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate it. And I uh, get, uh, love getting a chance to speak about Bruce. Uh, you know, Coach Enz was like the second father to me. And, uh, you know, in my life, I've met uh, very few people who are as passionate about what they do as, as as bruiser as put an incredible amount of energy into nurturing and guiding young men to get the best out of themselves and, and for someone like myself who was eager to listen learn and work on his game bruce's knowledge and commitment had a huge impact on my life that you know exists to this day i would have never play post-secondary basketball if it weren't for a coach like bruce who believes so strongly in player development now three decades later i'm still involved in the game and trying to have my own positive impact through coaching and running my own basketball club because of bruce you know a ton of what we teach at split second came through bruce ends as well as scott clark's teachings and You know, we just hope that we're passing it along uh, to the next generation in a way that would make uh, those guys proud. You know, and as strong as Bruce was at individual coaching, you know, the area of the game that he loved most, the gave him the most joy and fulfillment was bringing a group of individuals together and making them into a true team. You know, it's not easy to get uh, 12 competitive young men to put aside their insecurities and their egos and be a truly cohesive unit. But uh, Bruce was exceptional at this. You know, I don't remember a player checking the score sheet after the game to see how many points or assists they got and can't think of a teammate who wouldn't make the extra pass to get an even better shot. And that was the kind of culture Bruce managed to create. You know, we, we were the number one ranked team in Canada for a good part of my final two years and with a roster that truly did not look like it should be there on paper. Uh, you know, we played, you know, a really modern style of basketball. Uh, We had no bigs. I know because I was one of the supposed bigs and I wasn't big. Uh, You know, so we played, you know, small ball with lots of ball and player movement. And we truly shared the ball. I think we had, you know, around seven uh, players all averaging between 10 and 12 points per game, which made us tough to stop. And we played full out. We played for each other. And that's exactly the way Bruce, you know, thinks the game should be played. And the fact that he was able to bring us together in a way that made this collaboration possible. And the fact that we were actually successful doing it is a huge testament to coach Bruce ends is so I really appreciate Bruce. The next
3: question that was given to Bruce was was coaching basketball with influential people as guides and inspirational models. So this is, this is uh, Bruce's time at Winnipeg high school from 1958 to 1973. So I decided to spend most of my studying and making new friends, the most important and life-changing of whom was Norm Lee. Norm was a runner who had as little knowledge of basketball as I had of the track, but we shared many great experiences. Norm helped me in many ways become a better coach, and we started a journey of lifelong friendship. I had already begun coaching at MBCI, and I kept watching every, every prudent ga- Vic Pruden game or practice I could get to. Every day was another coaching clinic for free. Besides, my repertoire of injuries had been growing. I had missed my entire 11th grade of sports with a broken middle finger, a broken wrist, and another dangerous break of that same old right femur. The Cardinals would have to look somewhere else because my playing days were absolutely over. In 1964, I made another big decision. I left my honors political science program. He wasn't re- I wasn't really a great student anyway, and took a two-year assignment teaching English and phys ed, in Bajjela, Jordan, right across the highway, a mile up the hill from Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard of it. Here with a friend I made who worked for the United Nations, we built an outdoor court and basketball became number one on my teaching list every morning at 5.30am. The kids in the school were all Palestinian orphans from 12 to 15 years of age. Given the dreadful condition many Palestinians live under today, I, I, I often am left to wonder what has happened to those kids. Back about six years, when I was practicing alone at MBCI, I was was unaware, but a group of younger kids was watching me. One of the bigger guys, Orlando, came up and asked me if I could teach them to play basketball. Yeah, it was as simple as that. Vince Lee, the local Howard Samura, later wrote in the Winnipeg Tribune, NBC this year, for the first time, has put a team into my league for kids. They are decimating the opposition, scoring almost 100 points a game. And by the way, they are coached by a snot-nosed little 14-year-old grade 9 student named Bruce Enns. <laughs> yes, we really did put a lot of points up, but not because of me. I knew absolutely nothing about coaching, but the kids were great. I had agreed to coach only if they were serious about practicing every day. They were, and they got to be a very good team. More important, some of the top kids became coaches, and before long, we had the start of a program with a grade 7 and 8, grade 9, grade 10, and grade 11 and 12 varsity teams. Four boys' teams and four girls' teams in a school of just 200 students. By the, string of, by the spring of 1973, our varsity boys' team made the Manitoba High School Provincial Championships. We won our first two games and now had to face the powerhouse Sizzler Spartans in the final. Their captain, Martin Riley, later would be the starting point guard and leader of coach Jack Donahue's Canadian national team. Sisler was an awesome team. Not only did they have great guard play with Riley and Dan Kanashuk, who later starred for the University of Winnipeg Westman for five years. Up front, they started six foot eight, six foot six, and six foot three. We were fast, aggressive and pretty confident, but our biggest guy was six foot two. Fortunately, coach Pruden, who now was coaching at the University of Winnipeg, gave me some help. I never used a zone, and Pruden was a man-to-man coach, but for this game, he suggested a way that a 1-1-3 zone might upset the Spartans, who scored over 80 points in their first two games. We really slowed the game down, and using the zone, which we practiced that morning for the first time, we played a tremendous game. With 15 seconds left, the score was 42-40 for Sisler, and we called our last timeout. Our center got a great shot from the elbow, but the ball bounced off the back rim, and we were left to wonder, what if...
1: What was it about, uh, like, coaching that just drew you? Like, was it the tactical side of it? Why were you so invested in coaching at such an early age, do you think, coach? Yeah,
2: you know, it's a good question. I'm not really sure what it was exactly, but uh, I really fell in love with the game. I loved the strategy. I loved putting players together. And uh, the fact that we had kids who seemed to be very much interested in learning mm-hmm. made it quite easy.
1: I love how you touched on too about working with the track coach. I think sometimes we get a little bit maybe not egotistical, but we think we can only learn from other basketball coaches. But just sitting down with coaches who coach other sports and hearing how they do things, you can always steal a thing or two. And I found that very interesting about your path as well. You know, just being open to, hey, how do you do things? I mean, even it's just simple as how do you run a warm up, right? Or or you know, so just talking about your different styles, super important, I think, to grow as a coach, correct?
2: Oh, I think so. Uh, No doubt. Same thing at UBC. Mm When I went to UBC, I got to meet Frank Smith, showed me about football. And it was incredible uh, how much more they have to work Mm -hmm. every single Monday morning and preparing themselves for the next game, and uh, even more so than basketball.
3: In the summer of 1973, the American coach of the Westmen left... A lot of new Americans applied for the job, but Vic Pruden was the new athletic director as well as the girls coach, and I got the job. It was an interesting collection of players we inherited, one of which was Barry King, a very talented fifth-year American guard. A few weeks into practice, I called him into the office. Barry, I said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut you. But coach, he said, I'm the only real player you've got. You may be right, I said, but that's why I've got to let you go. I can't cut all of them, and it's clear you don't want to play with them. The newspapers went wild as I quickly became known as the guy who cut Barry King. Life as a university coach would be different, I soon found out. But Barry came back, played very well, and became an excellent leader and friend of mine. Recruiting was new to me, but the crosstown rivals from the University of Manitoba soon discovered that not every good player was destined to be a Manitoba Bison. Devin Daly, a super talented guard from the northern Manitoba town of Thompson, and Wade Bilodeau, a 6'6", big guy, joined Bob Magel, Dan Kanashuk, and Les Sikora, three sizzler Spartans who thankfully decided not to join Martin Riley on the Manitoba Bison's team. It took a while, but we did beat the fearsome Bisons because of those recruits and more terrific players like Paul Player, Kanapalko, Belani DeGoof, Grant Greenwood, Maurice Sampson was uh, was an assistant coach at UBC for so many years. What a great coach, what a great human being. Big Mo, Gord Tucker, and the magisterial leadership of Perry Scarlett. There were many great star high school players in Manitoba over the years, but Perry was not one of them. He was not even one of the top five of his Gordon Bell high school team. I can't really explain it, but Perry will always be golden in my eyes. We almost didn't get him to join us because he could throw a football 50 yards on a string. Thank goodness he didn't much like to get hit in football. (laughs) (laughs) Perry Perry and I thought alike and thought, and, and though Scarlett was tough minded, we rarely clashed. He just had a gift which allowed him to bring people together and bring out the very best in his teammates. He'd come to the bench and say, Bruce, forget the zone. I'll get the guys to smarten up or Bruce, it'll work out, but give me BA and take Parker off. Guess what? Perry was usually right. One last thing about him in their senior year, Scarlett's and Maurice Sampson's Gordon Bell team, a mostly black inner city school coached by Rick Suffield, faced the very white suburban Goliath Westwood collegiate coached by Dave Gus. It may not have been the best final game ever with Gordon Bell scratching out a very close win. I'm not sure, but I'm sure that Perry was instrumental in recruiting Gord Tucker, Mark Johansson, and Willie Parker to join the Westman. I'd love to, but I won't dare start the Perry Scarlet Willie Parker stories. Same
1: Same Rick Suffield that that coached Manitoba? Yep. Okay.
3: Let me just say that Perry and Willie were a perfect example of how racial harmony can bring a diverse group of people together and make a good team even better. By the 84-85 season, we were ready to step into the spotlight, so to speak. We qualified for the national championships, but some bad injuries blocked our path to the final four. With what I felt was a very loaded lineup returning, we recruited only two players, one of which was Joey Vickery, a five-foot-nine talent who turned out to be one of the best, two best players I've ever coached. However, I didn't get to enjoy coaching Joey at university. More about that story later.
2: Your uh, reading was excellent. Thank you. Corrections on your pronunciations. Yes. Gunnar Kuhn, and it was uh, Dan Kineschuk, and it was Balina DeGuffy.
4: Balina DeGuffy. Uh, okay. You got it. Super. Love Thank it. Thank
2: you very much.
4: Dominic, no, I mean, don't feel bad. I have a tough time pronouncing the word cat, so. <laughs> <laughs> and be- before we uh,
1: introduce Ross again, Coach, Perry just seemed like kind of when you got to the university level, just that first sort of... Backbone to the team and and that leader, hey, that first sort of guy that you had to get the the program rolling. Am I correct in assuming that just basically on what Dom's saying?
2: Absolutely. Perry is the kind of guy. Perry went to Japan after he finished playing. And uh, in Japan, Perry quickly found out that uh, Japanese, though a difficult language, was one that he could speak. Mm -hmm. He spoke as very well. He communicated with people and they loved him. Everywhere he went, Perry just seems automatically to be able to fit. He fits in very very well, and uh, I was smart enough to realize it and thank goodness for that
0: current UBC coach Kevin Hansen
9: I was one of a handful of players that Bruce inherited at UBC when he when he first came from Winnipeg. I remember late one August I walked into the gym there and there there was Bruce ends and he called me over and said hello, introduced himself, and, and uh, we had a great talk, conversation about basketball. I knew how focused, right from that moment moving on, as to how focused and dedicated he was to the game of basketball, and how excited he was to be coming out to Vancouver and, and, and coaching, coaching the Birds. We had just come off the Peter Mullins era. Bob Malinsky and Bill Edwards had filled in there you know, in between Peter and, and Bruce. And they were high school teachers by trade, and UBC had hired them to try to continue with the program and they were juggling their their teaching careers and leaves of absence and and basketball at the same time. And uh, then UBC made the decision to move to a full-time position and hired Bruce. I think it was an incredible move by UBC to hire him. And obviously, oftentimes players misunderstand coaches and and take for granted what you have at the time, and I certainly was one of the one of those people. Little did I know that the impact that Bruce would have on me at that time would, would shape and mold me as to the coach that I am, or at least the content, and uh, you know make make me think about the game of basketball and and analyze it. And you know Br- Bruce was very good. His philosophy was the conceptual approach to basketball, and certainly opened up my eyes as to you know being an analytical thinker of the game and what you're trying to achieve what the goal of basketball is what you're trying to do when you have the ball or don't have the ball and at the time you know i i wish i'd taken more notes and taken in more mentally as to some of the things that he taught because it was a uh, incredible amount of information you know as bad as players you just go on the court you want to play some games you want to play some drills and you really want to just get after it and Bruce would sit there to make sure we were understanding what we were doing, why we were doing it. Very, very innovative and creative mind for basketball. and something that I feel very, very fortunate that I, I was uh, blessed to have that opportunity to be coached by Bruce. You know, I, I, I think now reflecting on on my time at UBC and with Bruce in that player-coach relationship, you know, you certainly have your highs and your lows. I think just like any relationship and in the competitive world, I think it's uh, it gets amplified simply because you're in that competitive world you're trying to win games and you know you're on the road you're traveling together your highs your lows you win some games you lose some games and you're playing in the national championships and you you know we won our canada west that year in front of a packed crowd at home and just the highs in those relationships and you know i still cherish those relationships with the players and the coaches that we had at the time still see them and uh you know, that's a. It was a big part of my life. It was a huge part of my life, and and I, you know, I do have Bruce to to thank for him keeping me on the team and and uh, coaching me and putting up with me throughout those times. You know, the the longer I coach, the more I understand Bruce and understand coaches and and what you go through. And I, I have a saying that I use that only coaches understand what coaches are thinking and do. It, it's it's there's there's so many pieces to this job at um you know to be able to last a long time in the profession in the career um it certainly takes its toll but the more and more I go through life here and the more games I coach the more I understand the coaches and I have a true appreciation and uh with, with Bruce you know with, with his insightfulness into the cognitive side of the game and just his beliefs in basketball and you know deep down I know for a fact that he tried to make people the best person that they could become and he certainly helped a lot of guys over the course of the years and you know, we all players won't always love the head coach, and and uh, you know, the longer I go through it, you think sometimes that some of these alumni, you do a lot for them, and sometimes the love doesn't come back. And I, I wish I had been a better alumni for Bruce. I wish I'd been a better player. You know, the old saying: I wish I knew then what I know now and would have been a whole lot different. But you know, I, I do bleed blue and gold, and I do cherish my my time at UBC. I cherish my playing days there. And I think I was very uh blessed to be coached by coached by Bruce and I think I'm a better player and a better coach because of my time with him. And uh I know I, I, I do appreciate he watches uh, a lot of our games. I'm you know, I'm not sure he watches every single one, but I'm sure he probably would if he could and and probably has tried to. But um, you know, the feedback that he gives me is always uh bang on and it's always interesting to hear and and I, I know he doesn't think we play the prettiest brand of basketball, but um you know just getting feedback from someone that's got a creative mind like that is uh, is a very special opportunity i feel fortunate to have that so bruce uh i can't say enough about the positive things about the impact bruce had on me and, and uh i cherish the time that we had together and, and uh, I, I do appreciate what he continues to do for me
1: and let's introduce Ross and Ross, maybe just give a little bit of background before you start to read your part about Coach and just sort of the relationship you've had with him and how many years you coached with him and, and things like that. And and thank you for being with us today.
4: Oh, not a problem. Uh, well, from my background, uh, I initially started coaching at Burnaby Central uh, Secondary School back in the uh, back in the uh, late seventies and. Uh, Uh, Took over a program that had traditionally had some very good coaches, but uh, there was a dispute between the administrator and the coach, and he left the school. and They managed to keep the program going for a year. The track coach actually took the team over, Ken Taylor, and uh, uh, managed to keep the program afloat. Then he recruited me to coach there, and uh, I was there for well all the way up until I started coaching at UBC in 1992. Had some some pretty good teams there, and we were usually fairly competitive. And so my Initial meeting of Bruce was uh, at a basketball team camp that was held in Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows. Uh, My team was playing and competing in that and Bruce had come in and, We got introduced and uh, it was kind of an interesting thing where a coach just showed up. He was new to the province and uh, introduced himself to everybody and had time for everybody there and talked to the parents, talked to the kids. So it was very refreshing because uh, you don't often see a university coach do that. Uh, And certainly I know that he was looking for players and trying to make connections, but it was just a really different approach. So. So over the years, a couple of my players went on to play for Bruce. And in 1991, we played, um, my high school team played in the provincial championship. And But I was always very interested in what Bruce was doing. And so uh, I actually asked him if I could come out and watch the uh, preseason practices that he had, just to get an idea of what his systems of play were like. And I uh, thought he had a very novel approach to things, and I wanted to see it firsthand. So he was very inviting. He asked me to, he told me I could come out and uh, and uh, actually help coach and sort of explain things as we went along and it was terrific so I was out there for th- the first three weeks and then I let him know at the end of October that I had to go or pardon me at the end of September that I had to go back and coach my high school team and uh, he immediately said well would you consider staying and being a coach here and I said well no I can't do that I've got my own high school program and stuff like that And and he said well what about just showing up and being here when you're available and i said well i can try to do that but i don't know what that would look like and so anyway what it ended up looking like was me missing the thursday afternoon practice but being out there for every other game and practice and i was coaching my high school team simultaneously and if i had a tournament with my high school team i would miss that game um but i didn't miss very many practices or games through the year so i actually ended up being his assistant coach that year and uh and also being the head coach at Burnaby Central, and uh, and trying to do, to work at the same time. So it was a good thing I was single, because if I was married at the time, I probably would ended up divorced. So it would have been I, not married. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So. At any rate, the next year he said, "You know, I want you to come on as a full time coach." And um, and it was I had 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 such a great time that year, and learned so much that I'm high school to university as an assistant coach.
1: I used to love, I mean, give yourself some credit. Burnaby Central was, ended up being a pretty solid program when you were there and used to love as a kid. What was that Christmas tournament you combined with Centennial? And I always remember, was at Rainier Beach you would have up? You'd always have a couple American teams and I remember, I don't think they were allowed to dunk and warm up and I used to be like, these guys can like touch the glass with their elbows in warm-ups. Like, who are these guys? And it was like a, must have been 16 team tournament. It was a big tournament. I remember always going, we would we billeted teams from uh, Alaska, I believe, if I'm not correct. Yeah. So it was, you know, it you was worked the, your bag it, off.
4: It was the, the Coca Cola Christmas Classic. And That's so right, we, we actually had, uh, we were very fortunate. We had a lot of good teams come up. We had a team from National City, California, Sweetwater come up, uh, Sweetwater Union come up every second year. And we had a really good relationship with Al Harrison, the coach at uh, Garfield, and also the coach at Franklin as well. We had uh, Mercer Island, who was a powerhouse with Ed Pepple at the time. So the teams we were bringing in from Washington State and and from California, they were extremely good teams. I mean, they were always like number one or number two in their state. So it was a, uh, it was terrific. And you're right, the kids would go up there and uh, they come in, they fly in, they go up for dunk and just in just the last seconds. They pull pull their hands away from the ball and drop it through the net rather than dunk it. So yeah, uh, it was some pretty spectacular basketball.
1: Love it. Thanks for sharing that. And let's get into it about Ross. Um, you know, and your time with Bruce. And Bruce, let's continue on here. Your section, Ross, is blue. He even color coded it for you. I and mean, this guy is on top of it. I can only imagine what the practice plan looked like.
4: Oh, very detailed. I can tell you yeah,
1: right now. So I bet.
4: For, the, for, for the time and the fact that computers were not really used at the time, everything was handwritten and photocopied. It was amazingly detailed. Yeah. So the summer of 85 turned out to be another transformative one for me. First, I got to represent Manitoba at the annual Basketball Candidate meeting in Ottawa, where I met some new friends, including John Mills, who I remembered as a tough power forward from the old UBC Thunderbirds who were coached by a true athletic legend, Peter Mullins. By the end of the meetings, John informed me that he was representing more than just the province of BC at the meeting. Mullins had retired as the UBC coach two years earlier, and John was looking for a new coach for the Thunderbirds. He urged me to apply, which I did, a couple of weeks later, I was in Vancouver interviewing for, interview for the job. I admitted to the committee that if, in fact, I was their choice, it would be difficult a difficult decision for me to leave the Westman. But when Bob Highmarch, the athletic director at UBC at the time, called me at home in Winnipeg two days later, admitting that Ked Shields had decided to stay at Victoria, I became the new coach at my dad's alma mater, UBC. Starting to build a new team is always challenging. But when I arrived on campus in early September, it became evident that this year would be tough. So I think it's important to interject here and say it was a very late hire. So it was in the summer. So there was basically no time to recruit, no time to do anything. Mm -hmm. In Winnipeg, we had 36 exhibition tournament and conference games scheduled for the upcoming season. Whereas the previous staff at UBC had left us with a 19 game schedule. A month long attempt to add games that covered a measly three more road games, all in Southern Washington or Eastern Oregon. When a couple of veterans came in to see me, they told me that there was no recruits and no assistant coach uh, coming back to the team. When I asked the administrative staff where I could find my office, I was told the space was very limited and there was an old broom closet that might be renovated. Things momentarily looked pretty bleak. <laughs> What saved us all, I believe, was the appearance of two vets, Kevin Hanson and Paul Johansen. Paul at first wasn't sure whether he wanted to continue playing basketball or take up Frank Smith's offer to join the UBC football team. It was probably Kevin Hansen who changed Paul's mind because with Kevin, there was only one choice when it came to responding to the or fight or flight situation. Thanks goodness because these two guys, not only fighters, but they were also leaders. Two of the best I've ever been around. Many of the decisions that had to be and were made regarding the future of the program were made by the three of us.
1: The three of you. So your approach was always collaborative. Hey, you weren't. it wasn't top of the food chain. You know, this is what's being told. You you know, you instantly say right away, you obviously had it inside of your brain to know, these are two guys that I need. We need to work together and figure out how do we get the T-Birds program to continue to excel and be better. I think that's powerful stuff. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about your, your philosophy there in terms of 'Cause I think sometimes maybe even as high school coaches, especially when we're younger, we think we do a lot of telling, but really the powerful stuff happens when it's a collaborative process one through fifteen. You know what I mean?
2: You couldn't have said it any better. I think you're absolutely right. And with Kevin and Paul, it was that way. I knew they knew the university, they knew the player. Very quickly they got to know me. And I think that's that's the way we we've, we've tried to work with most of the teams we've been with
1: think it says a lot about you too and your timing you know going to ubc thinking okay how's this going to go and you have these two guys come across and you realize that you can utilize that and turn this into something powerful it says a lot about your mind and and who you were as a coach but also how you treated people so i think it just was important to pause there and talk about that so thanks for sharing that uh,
4: the first thing the three of us tried to change was team attitude which apparently was used to losing <laughs> Together we looked at the conference schedule, probably looking for potential wins more than anything else. I heard them tell me how it was impossible to win in Lethbridge. I got their same response to every team in the league. Well, I said, thank goodness we play half of our games at home. My coach came the response, we always get shafted by the refs at home. us <clears throat> went out and walked through the beautiful UBC campus to look for possible players. I found a big strapping six-foot-six guy who said he was a rower. But yes, he had played basketball in high school. Thanks, Jamie Bolding you are going to be our starting center. Kevin and Cole came back with more guys that either they had played with or knew would help us. Doug Eberhardt, Mitch Friedman, Ray Bishop, Gordy Matson, Mike Hodgkins, Kevin Reimer, Ken Scott, Adrian Hughes, and a soccer player, Sasha Paskovic. And I'm sure Bruce is going to roast me for that pronunciation.
1: <laughs> Did you give Kev part of your recruiting budget there, uh, Bruce? or
4: Paskovic.
1: Hilarially. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Check it out.
4: So. <laughs> if his recruiting budget at that time represented there what we had when I was with them, there uh, wasn't know, much floating. Yeah, a couple of, couple of pop cans, and he would go yep. for one of the, the large uh, two liters. You know, so you get more money. So fair enough. Kevin and Paul kept on bringing up another name I recognize Ken Classen, a rugged, intelligent six foot four guy who had played very well against the West in a tournament three years earlier. I wasn't sure, but I had my doubts whether Ken had any eligibility left. After reaching out to him, he confirmed that, yes, they granted me another year of eligibility, but I'm starting a commerce program this year, and the profs had told me not to fool around with basketball anymore. My immediate thought was, come on, Kevin and Paul, convince them to play, please. They did, and now we had our power forward, and a great one he was. Under size, and to be frank, not particularly athletic, Ken was flat out the best rebounder I've ever coached. My contribution would simply say ken keep Gord clemens and the other seven footers in the league off the boards and go get the ball he did yes ken had to miss a few practices because of classes but he never missed a game and no one from the faculty of commerce ever knew how good he was fooling around with basketball i think ken is still a big boss working for TE bank in toronto today now we had our team so we had to get started learning how to play together of course that meant learning to understand and how to make use of vic prudence principles of play adjustments could and would be made a suitable environment i was shocked when at the first practice in the famous old war memorial gym our team was assigned the center of three cross courts while two other teams practice alongside of us come on (laughs) it's it's true (laughs) and you split the court with two other teams Back in the old days, uh, War Memorial had cross courts. Everybody would come in on weekends and, and play. It was a place to go, and it would just be kids playing cross court. And the practices <laughs> initially were three times ta- three teams cross court, and there was no curtain. There's out. no curtain. Yeah. yeah. Holy so, smokes. That's awesome.
1: I mean, awful, but awesome. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, the coach's response to this was it was an impossible situation. How can you learn in that environment? So he pleaded with the athletic director. Fortunately, Paul and Kevin came along to keep him cool. And thank goodness for the wise old women's coach Jack Pomfret and the new volleyball coach agreed. Within a week we had Jim to ourselves for two hours. But only after a confrontation with the geography prof who somehow felt the gym was public property and he could shoot his hook shots whenever and wherever he <coughs> wanted. It was just another opportunity to show the team that this was a serious activity worth fighting for. But there was still another matter that was important to him. So just to Bruce's point, he actually told me the story uh, quite often about the prof who came in and they would actually have me going at it about uh, this guy thinking that he could just walk in. if It didn't matter if the practice was on or not. He would just pick a a basket that wasn't being used and go over and work on his shots through through Bruce's practice. So, uh, I mean, he seems
1: dedicated, coach. He didn't want to see if he had any eligibility left or what? A player staff member? (laughs)
2: He didn't seem to worry about missing shots
1: either. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so you were watching him. You watched the hook shot. You're like, oh, let's see what he's... Nah, nah, no. All right, I'm going to get into it with him and kick him out. Fair enough. I respect (laughs) it.
4: He has accomplishments and abilities first, and then he gives him the turf.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Former manager,
10: Stan Wong. Probably uh, what I'd like to do is maybe just frame up my uh, my window with Bruce. Um, I came on board as the manager, Bruce's second year at UBC. So that was uh, 1985, 86 in, the, in that window. You know, the history at that point was uh, the team, uh, or the UBC hadn't had uh, much success for about a decade or 15 years back to the, the John Mills era. and And so... I, I was also um, in my senior year in terms of graduating um, with a Bachelor of Physical Education, and as was Kevin Hansen and Paul, uh, Paul Johansen. So we had a young group of people, but a whole lot of uh, very little expectations. And, and what I would say about Bruce is he taught us how to be winners, both on the court and in life. And, and he had a, a very simple adage um, that first year was, we just want to win by one point. And he got us prepared for every game in terms of whoever we were playing to be uh, prepared to win. If we won by 10, even better, but just one one's good enough. And oh my gosh, we just kept winning game after game. And we uh, made, we made it all the way to the national finals that year uh we lost to brandon a team that we had beat earlier in the year so we certainly believe that we had the opportunity to be the best in, in the country and you know what i what i remember about Bruce talking to the players uh every day was to be the very best you can possibly be each and every day of your life and really what that meant was uh every day just be a little bit better. Um, And as I said, whether that's on the court and on life and for myself personally, you know, it's something that I really learned from and built upon within my time out at UBC with the basketball program into my career in terms of he was a great coach and a mentor for me in terms of helping me develop my leadership style in the corporate world. You know, probably what's uh, most important for me was that Bruce was a a phenomenal friend and I'll be very honest that uh, I've been pretty nervous all day about uh, how this conversation was going to go without me getting too emotional about it but uh, Bruce has been phenomenal for me in terms of helping me out and making career decisions early in my life I can remember when uh, I worked for Nike uh, which was actually a, a point of entry was uh, me being the manager with the basketball team and and Nike was the sponsor because of Bruce ends and and uh I was being transferred down to the United States and I needed my transcript at, uh, at UBC and I was working in Toronto at the time and he ran across next door to the administration office and got it within uh, within a half an hour and faxed it over to me uh, so I could get the paperwork done for my work visa. And then also, um, you know, I, uh, I unfortunately went through a, a difficult divorce at uh, at one point and and Bruce drove up from Bremerton um, to see me almost immediately in my time of need. So he's always been a, a great friend. And um, my message to you, Bruce, is uh, you know I hope everything's going great in Bremerton. I look forward to seeing Edie and yourself uh, hopefully sometime in the fall or or the winter once all the uh, this stuff clears up. But all the best and uh, from. From all the players and the managers and coaches that have worked with you and the, the administration out, out at UBC, thank you for what you've uh, you've brought to the UBC program. And we miss you.
4: When I looked at the shoes that some of the guys were wearing, I was appalled. Flip-flops would have given more support and being safer. I asked my vets where they got the shoes from and they said the athletic director had a deal. When I asked him, he told me, well, oh, I have this friend in Korea, he gets them for me. Back in the summer, I called Jack Donahue, the national coach of the Canadian national team, for some advice about taking the job at UBC. His words came back to me now. Never forget that you are a first-year coach for only one year. You need to set the tone early, or it'll be too late. Since the mid-70s, I had a team contract with Nike, and despite the personal deals with Korean friends, I was not about to lose this little battle. The phone calls were made, Nike was more than amiable to the new contract and signed in very happy T-Bird players, I have been dressed with the swoosh ever since. That first year was tough, and I won't kid you, but the guys played hard and pretty well as they adapted to a new system of play and a new attitude. We won six games, all at home, but everybody knew that the guys and their coach were serious about changing and growing. I think back now and realize that I must have spent almost as much time preparing for the next season as I did the first one. The personal goal I had set for myself was simple. I have to meet four people every day for a year that will help us build this program, and it worked. Whether in person, by phone, or by letter, I met local high school coaches, T-Bird alumni, UBC professors, and administrators, media people, fans, business folks, and parents, and of course, players. Wow, that's quite a large task there, Coach.
2: I know I was in the office every morning at 6.30.
4: Yeah.
2: Usually didn't get home until pretty late at night, but uh, had to work hard to get it started. And when we got it started, I think the players really made it
1: work you know, the networking and, and you being someone who was born in BC, but hadn't spent time back, right? There were so many relationships and connections that you had to make. You didn't just jump in and, you know, go from maybe being at like Douglas to UBC and know all the people in the community. You either had to reconnect or begin connections. And that's a huge part of a of a university program. So it's super interesting for you to point that out. And just the amount of time and effort it takes to get it rolling, you know?
4: Well, I think there's two things here, too. You know, at a mm-hmm. point in time, UBC was the sort of the only show in town, so you didn't really have to go out and recruit. I mean, when, when Mullins was first there, you know, it was the expectation that players would go and play at UBC. Right. Secondly, I can tell you I got calls quite often from Bruce, and at the time, you get a call from a university or college coach when you had a player that they were interested in, or you bump into them at a game, or they had a some sort of a clinic they were putting on but it was extremely rare for a university coach to pick up a phone and call you and just shoot the crap. Right. So, right. so it was very engaging, and very, very different. So, and that was one of the things that intrigued me about Bruce. So back to that first season, as hard as they worked, most of our roster realized that their playing time as T-Birds might not last long because their coach was constantly on the lookout for new and more talented players. And I was always in the office by six thirty and rarely home by ten thirty each night. I was determined to strengthen the roster. There were some excellent high school coaches in Manitoba, but nothing like BC. The first week when I arrived in August, I heard there was a good camp going on in the valley. When I finally found Pitt Meadows, I found not a good camp, but a great one. Quickly, I was introduced to coaches, many of who knew more about basketball than I did. Wow. Rich Goulet, Richie Chambers, Ken Dockendorf, Brian Fichter, George Bergen, Arnie Dick, Mark Prinster, Larry Street, Ross Tomlinson, Bill Edwards, Bill Disbro, Bill Lang, Paul Eberhardt. Bob Balinski, Kent Chapel, Bob Shannon. Should I go on? That was just the start of a truly amazing group of people. I realized that nowadays every university coach recruits nationally, but I was slow to that game. And with this wealth of coaches in my own province, why would I look elsewhere? Another coach I met was Dave Jackson from Vernon. If you don't know Dave, it's too bad because he was a wonderfully kind, giving and intelligent and musical coach. Remains a close friend today. And Dave has a son called JD. John David Jackson. Everybody knows JD. Who? (laughs) Just kidding. I kid, I kid. Got to get him on. Absolutely. (laughs) He's had a a very interesting uh, career, both Mm -hmm. as a player and a coach. I threw found out that I wasn't the only BC coach enamored with homegrown players. Ken Schill had stayed at Victoria for a reason. He had already established a powerhouse program on the island, mainly with local players, and right across town at Simon Fraser University, there was Stan Stewartson, an aggressive and very successful coach. I discovered soon that though the high school coaches were open, friendly, and helpful to me, it was Stan who had done the hard work, made the connections, and had the loyalty of his players, his alumni, and a majority of these coaches. As Dan Stinson, a local newspaper writer, later told me flatly, Bruce, you can beat Alberta and Calgary and Saskatchewan all you want. but Until you can beat UVic and SFU, you are nothing.
1: Did you feel that was true, coach? Did you feel like beating SFU and UVic was the standard?
4: It didn't take long to
2: figure that out, I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, think of Stan and Ken Shields. I mean, that's a the, that's a pretty high standard to try and get your program to, but it also nice for you. You're obviously a hungry, driven coach, and it's it's a good expectation to try to reach and, and get the the standard to where you can compete with those guys every year, and you did.
4: In Winnipeg, we had started with two great recruits, Daley and Billado Recruiting well at the start was even more essential at UBC. Four of the best high school players came from the Okanagan Valley, my old home. So we tried very hard to attract Spencer McKay, but we didn't get him. He made a good decision when he chose a superb coach, Ken Shields, and a perennial winner at UVic. But when the phone rang the next day, and an almost hesitant voice stammered, Coach, do you still want me to come to P- UBC? It was J.D. Jackson. And now it was my turn to get all shook up. Relax, Bruce, I said to myself, because when JD then started, stated assuredly, Don't worry, coach, because I will bring Mike Clark and Al along with me, a great recruiting class was set. Clark was six foot eight and a multi skilled, intelligent forward from Kelowna, and Alon was a six foot four, sweet shooting athletic guard from the same Kelowna Isles team that had just won the BC High School Championships a few months earlier. These three guys would turn out to be the foundation of our program for the next five years. That second year in 1986-87 turned out to be one of the best. Captains Hansen and Johansson returned for their senior years, and so did another former T-Bird, Aaron Point. Aaron was only six foot four, but like Ken Class before him, Aaron's size was but a very small part of the package that he provided our team. By the exam break at Christmas, we had established an identity that included balance, a team first attitude, and grit. Kevin and Paul took care of that. We had won a tournament in Manitoba, beating three very good teams and surprised a lot of people. In the final, we beat the Brandon Bobcats, which kind of surprised me because I really thought they were the best team in the country at the time. I think it was Kevin who later told me that the guys just wanted to give their coach a good homecoming.
1: I was going to say, Coach, how did that feel to go back and and put on a bit of a show? I'm sure some people showed up to watch your team play. It must have been a great feeling to knock off some great teams, and and show people that you'd built a program out west.
2: Uh, exactly. And uh, in the early years, I was at UBC. We tried to make a trip out to Winnipeg every single year. It was good because the basketball was excellent. And, uh, you know, to be able to compete with your old teams were, uh, was very important to us.
4: Speaking of old teams, that's your old team, isn't it, Aaron?
1: It is. The Bobcats.
4: There we go. In retrospect, the details are a bit fuzzy, but the season was special for a lot of people. So many fans, students, alumni, even guys in the media called during the season to say how exciting it was that the team was playing well. The big thing for me was that we were getting big contributions from up and down the lineup. And somehow we weren't all that surprised when we made it to the conference championships against the six-time national champs from UVic. The second game of the final was the big pressure-packed one. You guys might remember the details better than me but in the last five seconds the vikes were up by a point and we managed to get the ball across center where we called it a timeout we set up in our regular out-of-bounds set and put the ball in the hands of our future superstar find a way to win jd Were my final words to him It would not be easy like almost every game that year jd had come off the bench and it played well but he was a rookie and still very left-handed tommy johnson was a terrific defender and forced jd to his right hand down to the block on the right-hand side of the lane and this is where we all got to see the special genius of jd janet jd pushed into a bad position and suddenly trapped by a bigger defender he had to do something quickly because the time was running out fast he must have yelled something because a defender from the top of the key left another rookie all lawn to block out our big guy on the weak side the next thing i heard was wild cheering as i left my assistant as i heard my assistant coach scream kent chapel scream we won we won I didn't even get to see the final shot because John Ritchie, another assistant, was blocking my view. JD had jumped up high in the air, and knowing where Al would be, put the pass in the hands of the guy he knew would win the game. Thank goodness for rookies.
11: Former player Brady Ibbotson. I can hear you guys. I don't know why I can't. I don't know. I've I've never really done Zoom on my phone, so I don't know how to add the ah, video so you can see me. No excuses, man. We, I'm not nobody, that. Uh, nobody needs to see that, that mug, anyways. You know. Nobody needs to <laughs> see my old man mug. Yeah, <laughs> this is nice why we don't. Anyone, this is
1: why we don't show the videos on Hoops Journey yeah. either. No one wants to see me either. Yeah. So <laughs> you can see. You can see everybody in the room though.
11: I I can flip by and see everyone. Awesome. Uh, when it's on a few different pages, but uh, yeah, I do see everyone. Cool. Brady, if you
8: tap the screen, do you see Start Video pop up? If you wake up the screen by tapping
11: um, it. So bottom. smart, Eric! Butler. What a teammate! What, a, a, teammate. Teammate? Oh, what a teammate! Look at that! You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna give credit to Bruce ends. Bruce <laughs> ends right there. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce ends taught Eric how to be a good teammate.
1: <laughs>
8: I love it. I, I didn't need. I did need to learn how to pass the ball. That's for sure.
11: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think you're recording, but. It's funny because Eric said, I don't think anyone ever looks at stats except for the one stat in your fifth year, Eric. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking we're not, about.
8: We're <laughs> not that, That's a team stat, right? <laughs> 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 that's funny.
11: My memory of Bruce, so my memories of Bruce started way back when I was probably like in grade six or seven, and he came out for bird ball camps out at, uh, in Kelowna here, come out to the Okanagan and teach us about hot knife through butter. And that was my uh, my most famous thing that I remembered from him, and how to execute on offense, and uh, and then eventually, dream came true. I got to play for him in uh, my third year after I transferred into UBC, and had the opportunity to to play for UBC and Bruiser, and uh, and what a good mentor and friend he was. I hear you know the various people in here speaking of that. Uh, I laugh too because I hear uh, speaking about the discipline of his dogs. And uh, no, I don't think he treated us like dogs, but almost uh, to following directions. But my biggest appreciation for playing for Bruce was probably that he let us play. He he let us use our minds, would put together a lineup of, I don't know, like Eric said, I don't think we had anyone over 6'5", but we were all very similar players. But he set up an offense where he made a set, and here's where it was, and here's where you kind of start it. Get a free ball was another <laughs> very uh, common thread, which was always fun to do. But then we could execute how we read and react. And uh, as, a, as a coach uh, or as a player, and then as a coach later on, that's how I've always led my teams. Fast break up the wings and uh, no real true point guard, but letting everybody handle the ball, everybody shoot, looking for the best shot available uh, in a run-and-gun type style. So I give it all credit to him. Great man. I wish I could see him and say hi to him in person it's been a long time uh since i've i've seen him uh out here living in the okanagan but uh i wish him the best and uh and what a great guy and mentor another memory i have of bruce is in my final year you know all excited gonna be a starter it's my uh we go out to play some tournaments i think eric might be able to confer but we were i think we could have been even ranked number one going into the year and uh and then had a good road trip out east came back and our first night i think our re- regular season we bombed a weekend in calgary and then came back home and lost the first night to uvic really bad and this just goes to show bruce's passion i don't think he ever actually turned off his mind or obviously didn't because i remember laying in my uh, in my room at fairview crescent in ubc and the phone rings at 2 30 in the morning bunch and bunch is what he called me because I was—he said I did things in bunches. <laughs> bunch. Uh, I, I got an idea. And, and well, I should preface this to say, at the end of the game, he told us all the starters were all going to be benched. So he's starting five new guys. All the starters are benched because we played so so crappy. And then he phones me two thirty a.m. Bunch. I got. I got an idea. I got to run it by you though. As captain, I'm going to bring you off the bench. You're going to be the only one that comes off the bench. And the other four starters, they got to start because I think they, can, they can't they handle it. But you're going to come off the bench. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm half asleep. I'm like, Bruce, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do. Um, I want to win the game, so I just want to go to bed, Bruce. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and he's just rambling in my ear. And, uh, and sure enough, next night, brings me off the bench. Yeah, what do you know? I think I had actually one of my best games ever as UBC, as my stalwart scorer that I was. Probably had 24, record high for me. Player of the game, and that was history. Forever, and, and thereafter, I was the sixth man. And uh, so Bruce had this vision, but just a memory I had of him that sticks out to me. I wonder if he remembers it.
4: It seemed like the season was over already. We'd beaten UVic, but within a matter of few days, we were in Halifax getting ready for the Canadian Championships. Our first game was against Western, a very strong, well-coached team from Ontario. It was a close game, but we won. Now we had to play the Winnipeg Westmen, my old team from my old, with my old guys Tucker Johansson, Parker, and two more guys from their old high school, Westwood, Murray Gaiman and Joey Vickery. Joey was phenomenal, scoring 30 points. But Kevin and Paul were better. Although I think both teams scored 100 points each, we had more, and now we were in the final. It was it was very late when we got back to the hotel, but we knew our opponent would be the Brandon Bobcats because they had won the semifinal earlier in the day.
1: Yeah, it's a tough turnover. Hey, if you get the late, if you get the late semifinal and you're playing like a noon or a one o'clock tip off the next day, it's it's a tough turnaround.
4: Yeah, and traveling across the country too, it just uh, sure. it takes it out of you, right? So yep. uh, four hour time difference and uh, flying west to east doesn't make things easy for sure. Bruce goes on, as I remember it, we had about 14 hours to prepare for the game. After discussing <laughs> the situation with Kent Chappell and John Ritchie, we decided that changes were not necessary given the time frame. It was a bad mistake, and to this day, I feel, it let our guys down. Jerry Hemmings, the Bobcat coach, was no fool, and he no no doubt had reviewed the film of our victory in the fall. Brandon's John Carson was a tremendous player and great athlete. Paul had taken on the challenge I offered him in the fall and had guarded Carson in our earlier meeting. No reason or time to change that now, right? Wrong. Paul fought as hard as ever, but Jerry had moved Carson into the post. In that battle, Carson was the winner. Much too late, I changed the matchup and Aaron Point played against John. But by then, our confidence waned and Brandon soared to a 10-point victory. I guess the Brandon Bobcats really were the best team in the country, but as a coach, I was left to wonder for years whether I had properly prepared our team for victory in the biggest game of the year. Everybody told us, you'll be back, don't worry. Sure, we had some excellent chances with very strong teams, but it wasn't until Kevin Hansen started coaching the Birds 13 years later that, they, that the Birds got back to that final game. What happened in those 13 years? A lot of stuff and some terrific basketball from our T-Bird teams. Boy, do we ever have some great, great players. He said, I would just like to name a few. So it'll allow the uh, memories of people to come back. Jeff Strether, Perry Scarlett, Brian Tate, Derek Christensen, Bob Hyten, Dave Willis-Croft, Eric Butler, Mark Tenholt, Kenny Morris, John Dumont, Brady Ibbotson, Gerald Cole, John Dykstra, Nino Sosa, Dominic Zimmerman. Courtney Kola, Ben Sandsburn, Jason Bristow, John Fast, Sherlan John, Gemma Mahalalea, Zahid Bakari, and of course, my favorite Hoops Journey broadcast, podcast, Kevin Keeler. I was so fortunate to be involved with so many great people, but I decided to leave UBC after 2000, the 2000 season. Ross Tomlinson and I had assembled a terrific, talented bunch of players over the last two years. We had Jamma and Zahid from Toronto, Courtney from Saskatchewan, Keeler and Stanley Mitchell from the East Coast, Sherlan and Ben from the Island, Jason Bristow and Brian Host from Richmond, and we still had Dom and John Fast as our captains. The future looked good, and at times we were great, and although we made the playoffs and won our opening series against Calgary, we lost to Alberta, who went on to compete at the national championships. Something was missing. I decided the team needed a new coach. I explained it to my assistant coaches, Ross, Maurice Sampson, Simon Dyser, and Harry Franklin and then painfully to the team, and then my boss. I realize now how difficult that decision was for some of the players, and I do apologize for the hurt, but I think I made the right decision. Kevin Hansen took over. A tough situation has proven with many years of winning that T-Bird basketball is on a firm footing, as as, is, is as exciting as ever to watch. Again,
1: Coach, I would say what it says about you, how many people would have just hung on or gone through some tough seasons, knowing their heart wasn't in the right place, but you had the ability to just really analyze yourself and know that your situation, it was time to walk away. Um, I can only imagine the emotions that you felt during those moments, though. It must have been probably one of the hardest things you've ever had to deal with.
2: Yeah, it was very difficult. Uh, We had a lot of good players. All of whom had chosen to come to play for us at UBC, to tell them suddenly that it was going to end. For me, not for them, hopefully, was uh, tough. And I think uh, Jamma spoke to it very articulately when he did your podcast a couple of months ago when he said that uh, he was rather shocked by the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Because when a new coach comes in, a new coach has got to get his own players. And some of our old guys were left, sort of had to, uh, you know, I had to swing a different way.
1: Yeah cool part for jama was um he talked about how important you were to him right and that you came out and his only vision was ever to play for a bruce ends but when you think about programs and how they roll same situation for you. you even touched on it in this episode you start with the program but the guys knew you might not be around long because i'm trying to fill these spots and make better players each and every year right and that's how it works but i think it says a lot about how selfless you are so many coaches with their own personal ego would hang on and continue but when you knew it was time, you were able to, to drop that and do, make the right situation. And it also says what, how much care you had for UBC basketball itself too, um, knowing that you wanted to see the program continue on and you felt like you weren't the person to do that. It really does speak to you as a person.
2: Well, we've been very fortunate. Kevin's taken over and done a heck of each other.
4: Mm-hmm. Awesome. The next uh, question that was asked of Bruce is uh, about attracting recruiting players which is always an extremely difficult thing to do. Recruiting was never my favorite coaching responsibility, but I think those who dis- might disparage my efforts as a recruiter show a little disrespect to tremendous players who wore the blue and gold from 1985 to 2000. I believe that many of our best players came to UBC not because of my little speeches, but because of the guys they would be playing with or the others have recommended them to us. Take, for example, three terrific guys that Dominic brought down to visit The old coach in Bremerton a couple of years ago, Gerald Cole, John Dykstra, Kevin Keeler and Dom himself, had all played originally for other teams. They could have chosen to play anywhere, but they chose to play for UBC. Let me tell you about the values that helped guide us as we chose players. Key word was win. This refers to a lot more than just points for and against. The w is for wonder, the wow factor. Do they show that twinkle in their eye, that instant of excitement when they notice the multiple multitude of opportunities in the way we want to play? I stood for intensity. Do they demonstrate a commitment to being serious about learning and improving and turning their talent into skill? And finally, N is for nuance. This refers to an acceptance of the diversity of ideas and details of how we will play this game, but always as a team.
1: And then, Coach, you ended up coaching a little bit professionally as well. You know, do you want to just t- touch on those things? You ended up getting to coach, uh, you know, a couple former players as well and talk about those experiences or what you remember. And very cool as well. He coached some wheelchair basketball, um, some pretty awesome moments. It didn't just end for you there after UBC, right?
2: That's right. Well, when I left UBC, I went to uh, volunteer at an organization called L'Arche. L'Arche is... Uh, an organization that works for with developmentally disabled people but as i found out quickly uh, the able-bodiedness is uh, is a temporary condition for all of us we found out that even the even the disabled developmentally disabled people had so much to contribute and uh, they were very not only intelligent but they were very caring people and the large was very transformative for me in that it really helped me to demonstrate that uh, life does not stop and you gotta keep going. And I found out Eric Butler actually turned me on to a place called Ireland, which I would long been in love with, an opportunity to go and coach. So I went to Ireland. It lasted for about five weeks. Interestingly enough, I was there for a week and we'd never even had a practice. The owner of the team suddenly said, well, you can practice tomorrow because i have been bugging him to get a hold of the team. And we practiced at 11 o'clock at night. It was really interesting trying to put together this group of people. They had lost to this team we had to play the next day. They lost to them by 78 points. Mm. And uh, we managed to put the guys together and they were fired up. And we almost won the game. It was a bad call at the end that took the game away from us. But anyway, the guy never, he never paid a cent either to me or to his two American imports. Very quickly, we found out that the team was not about to be much longer. And I came home about five weeks later. Eric was also involved. He said, uh, Bruce, I promise you that this will be a better experience in Ireland. And I went along with him and we went to Austria and on the team, he said, we would have Eric and Joey Richard Anderson who played at Simon Fraser. But again, uh, it was a bit screwy. And one of the owners felt that, uh, he knew more about basketball than anybody else. And, uh, it became a question of whether it was me or him. And, uh, so uh, Todd Kazinka, who'd come along with me as my assist, assistant coach, we left. And we went to Hungary for a while. We helped out a couple of professional teams with a with a practice or two, but we came home the next year. And uh, Rome two, I got a call from Dominic. Dominic told me that their coach was leaving, and uh, regardless, I got the job. I think we had a we had a very solid. Starting six players, maybe. Uh, maybe Dominic wants to talk about the guys we had a little bit. Again, it became a rather awkward situation in that uh, the club did not have enough money to compete. Even though I think we won something like nine out of our first eleven games, and uh, once again, it was it ended rather quickly.
3: Yeah. So, so the way Bruce got that job was, was uh, I think when, when you had a bit of time, you came down to visit and the coach we had was welcoming you as well. So I think he did a practice or two with our guys and then went back home and then our, our coach ended up leaving. And our head coach, George Kempf at the time, he actually said, you know, we need Bruce to coach this team. So, so we got Bruce the job and he did an exceptional job just being working with university players is obviously very different than working with professional players. We had, we had a couple guys on the team that were, you know, kind of had been around the block a little bit. Uh, We had a very good shooting guard named Michael Lake. Um, But, you know, just, just a few, few pros that, that maybe um, Bruce's uh, unique approach to coaching was maybe a little hard for them to handle, I think. (laughs) And they were, you know, they kind of, they kind of had been around the block a little bit but the way he worked with the young players was amazing we like he said we i think we actually won our first 10 games i think we were nine or ten and oh and then ended up being ten and four and then and then there were some disagreements there and and bruce left but but the the impression he made in barbara was huge because his his wheelchair basketball coaching career was uh, thereafter was was you know going to the paralympic games and all that was is also something to be to talk about as well i think Sean Mitchell,
1: you're up, man. I hope you rehearsed more than you did your freaking speech at my wedding there, pal.
6: You're going to start there, huh? Well, you know, sitting on the bench next to Bruce and Ross, um, I kind of had a unique vantage point similar to Stan, you know, as a manager and getting that different side and that different sort of vantage point of the team. And, and one of the things that Bruce used to say that had always stuck with me was, I'd rather be a guide from the side than a sage from the stage. And that staying has always stuck with me because essentially what he was saying was he didn't, and this is kind of what Brady talked about. He didn't want to direct the offense, right? He wanted to teach. He wanted to teach the philosophy. He wanted to instill the systems. Yeah. And we had some things we would do end outs and this, these types of things, but it was let them play. Give them the tools to be successful in the game, and if there were game adjustments, that okay, there's things we got to talk about. The other team's doing this, we got to do that, you know, those sorts of things. But he wasn't calling plays, you know what? He didn't he didn't want to be constantly nattering at the players, right? The idea was they equipped them with the tools to go out and play, and let them play. And I think a lot of ways he was ahead of his time in that regard. You know, you look at the Golden State Warriors and the things that they've done over the last few years, the small ball, the passing, the constant mismatches, the ball movement, the shooting from everywhere, you know, those were a lot of things we did. And that was a real testament to Bruce and just the tremendous basketball mind that he had. You know, I learned a ton just from sitting there and watching him at practice and watching him at games and watching what we did. And it was just, it was for someone on the sideline who just was a basketball junkie, it was just fascinating, and I've always appreciate that about Bruce. I
1: want to throw you through the lightning round here because uh, I'm re- I like what you've done. You've you've done some cool answers, um, and I'd like to get through those. If that's okay, are you good with that? Sure. Especially your first answer here. This is questionable, and we could probably take the next thirty minutes breaking this down. Favorite bag of chips? Veggie chips.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I like chips
1: regardless of what it's going to be. Okay, okay, that clears things up. That clears some things up. I appreciate that. But veggie chips, hey, eh? that's I thought, good. I thought maybe my four and a half year old learned how to type and stole stole your Word document. And put veggie chips in here. I was expect salt and vinegar or you know, cheesies. No, well, that's all good too. As as <laughs> too spicy, controversial topic your thoughts about ketchup on macaroni coach
2: no i don't like any kind of uh ketchup maybe on a a cheap hot dog maybe but that would be about it for ketchup
1: on a cheap hot dog yeah and it's funny because you know you've obviously dominic has meant so much to you in your coaching world and life and you look at him like a leader and the Mm -hmm. man still to this day has a ketchup issue i mean There was only so much you could do as a coach and mentor, I guess, though, right? Like, there's sometimes you gotta let them go
4: and figure out life for themselves, right?
3: Next question, please. Next question.
4: Are you? (laughs) Hey, this isn't your episode. Are you saying that Dominic puts ketchup on his bratwurst?
3: Uh, Senf. I actually put senf, which is the German oh. word for mustard. Yeah. Oh. Okay.
4: Okay, I'm I'm on I'm, I'm board with that. Real defensive I, I, there. I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was implying that he was putting ketchup on that, then he wouldn't be German anymore. They didn't Did you see it.
1: the body language change? He yeah. sat up. He gave us a little yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Holy, that was legit. Okay. He shot All right.
4: forward immediately. <laughs> yeah. No, Ross, it's just like,
1: like, like uh you know, during COVID, you don't get the tub of ketchup anymore. It's like. It's just five or six of the little samples, but like a lot of them, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's quite a lot. Yeah. Okay. You named a lot of musical artists. Tell us about these people or what's a, what's a, you, you get to go to one or two concerts. Who are you going to coach best seat in the house?
2: First of all, I'd love to go and, and hear Django, Reinhardt and Stella Grapelli. They are my favorite people. Uh, Django uh, was a gypsy guitarist. He basically played with three fingers. He was just a phenomenal
1: musician. What's one of your favorite books that you've ever read or a couple that stick out to you to this day?
2: Well, I really enjoy Dostoevsky. Brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment. American novels. My favorite one would probably be Moby Dick.
1: There you go. Love it. Look, Corbs. Corbs loves it. Moby Dick. Called me Ishmael. There you go. <laughs> Now, you've been around the game so long. You've been a part of so many players' lives and coached so many. But who are some of the best players that you think you've ever coached?
2: Well, the two best players I've ever coached were Joey Vickery and J.D. Jackson, for sure. They really were special.
1: Just different, hey?
2: Yeah, the kind of guys you really... You try not to get in their way because they have a uniqueness about them. The ball just... Suddenly, I remember recruiting J.D. I went out and watched the first half, and I think it was another guy that I thought was J.D. Mm -hmm. And I was in the second half. I was told who he was. I started looking at him. He's standing around defensively. He would never get into a good position. But what he found out time and time again, they throw the ball, and J.D. would steal it. I think great players just seem to know where the ball's going to go next. And they had that ability. You could not teach it.
1: Who have been some of the most important people in your life? Well, the
2: most important people in my life, are obviously. My father would be one. My mother would be another one. My sister would be another one today. And my former wife, Alice, really helped me build a basketball program. And my present wife, Edith. Edith is just a great lady. She's uh, very, very talented. She works very hard in the community and she does everything to keep me going. In terms of basketball, it would be Vic Gruden, and it would be Normie Lee, my good
1: friend. Right on. Second last question for you, and I love what you've done here. You've taken it and gone from just sort of your greatest player of all time. You have your all-time NBA team with slash the UBC version. So maybe name the NBA player that you love and who those UBC players are to you. That's very creative. There's the mind working. I love it.
2: Well, my favorite team would basically be the uh, the Golden State Warriors. You don't say. <laughs> and for Steph Curry, I would say it would be Perry Scarlett and Courtney Cola from UBC. And from uh, Winnipeg, it would be Scarlett and Kinschuk. Okay. And so-called two-guard would be Clay Thompson, Andy Morris, and Paul Johansson. For Winnipeg, it would have been Gray and Green, Devin Daly and Grant Greenwood. Uh, three-man, of course, would be Kevin Durant, but I think he's probably the most talented player in the world these days. J.D. Jackson, John Dumont. For Winnipeg, it would be Gordy Tucker and Paul Blair. Draymond Green, and people would say, why Draymond? And I think oh, all you have to do is watch the Olympics this year and you find out why Draymond. He just decided that it was not important for him to score, even to shoot. He made sure that he did all the dirty work for everybody else, and uh, for that I chose Ken Klaus and Jason Leslie. For one AL,
1: game. love it. I got to play a men's league with him. We just throw it into him and just stand around. He was really freaking good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And this guy I chose as a as a big guy. He's sort of an all around uh, guy. Though I'm not a big fan of LeBron James. I think he's a tremendous player. And the two guys I would choose there. His leadership is phenomenal. Eric Butler and Dominic Zimmerman. These are two guys that I chose. as the fifth guy on
1: my team. Awesome. I definitely would every time I see LeBron play, I definitely think Dominic Zimmerman, let me tell you, you know? Let me t- <laughs> <laughs> I think this is cool. Yeah, you also did an all-time, yeah, there it is, all-time staff team. At the level that you coached, and you'll probably be the first to admit it, you're only as good as probably your manager, your last player, and, and your assistants, right? They're, they're really the glue behind it all. And I think it's really cool that you named a few people as well. So I'll let you have the floor for that one. My
2: all-time staff at UWC would have been Ross Thomas, John Ritchie, Tom Elwood, Maurice Samson, Tony Ivan, second. Stan Wong, my managers, and Sean Mitchell, Ted Lorenz, Joey Dolcetti, and Kevin Hansen. Amazing! All right. These are uh, just you know just some of the people that were very much involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This has been a really special episode, um, Coach. We, all, as you know, being one of our number one fans, and we'll we'll get you uh, a hoodie and a T-shirt sent down your way. Hopefully, it clears customs. Um, But up to this point in your hoops journey, if you could do it all again, you would what?
2: Well, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure. Basketball, I think I would not change my basic philosophy of basketball. The team is is more important than the individual, at least in the NBA, as anyone on the back of the uniform seems to be more important. On the front, a lot of good that can come from playing basketball, it affects the lives of many, many different kinds of people, whether they be fans or whether they be media or whether they be, uh,
1: you know, close people that are involved with the players. Great answer. Coach Tomlinson, before we let uh, Coach Ens kind of wrap it up, did, I'm sure you've told him a million times, you know, Dom talked about it at the start of the episode, but is there anything you'd like to say to Coach and uh, your relationship over the years before we uh, um, get moving on here?
4: Well, Coach is my mentor and uh, and has been since we first started coaching together. The relationships that he's established with his players that was probably the most important thing that I took away from him. I mean, the X's and O's were always incredible, but um, he re- really made me understand that your relationship with uh, with your team and the players on it are family. And uh, ever since he had me start to be involved in the UBC program program, uh, we've been family and we continue to be that way now currently share uh, a a zoom call every thursday morning at 9 30 and we have a ton of ex-players that come in and and talk uh, and we just get on there Uh, sometimes bruce is heavily engaged and sometimes he just listens to uh, all the old uh, players uh, acting like blowhards talking about how great they used to be which is uh, which is pretty hilarious at times Uh, you know everyone everyone absolutely remembers themselves 20 times better than they were you know and i'm, I'm sure that in, in flexing earlier that probably went through dominic's mind about how good he was uh and you know that that's the problem with with a podcast is you can't see the uh the video involved in the zoom call that we're on but if you could it's it's absolutely hilarious so uh so from my perspective i would just say that uh, bruce has had an incredible influence on my life he is my family and uh i will always love him
1: Appreciate those thoughts and sentiments. Coach Bruce Ends any last thoughts or reflections before we let you go? And thank you so much for being with us. Um, this is a special episode. We'll leave it with you to, to wrap it up though, if you would like.
2: Well, I think Ross really nailed it. And uh, you got it's about relationships I think more than anything else. And it's been very fortunate in having a Zoom call. I got emailed from Tokyo and then I had a FaceTime from Tokyo. The coach who uh, I got started, he runs a German program now, Facetime me, showed me the, uh, the locker room that they were in, and they took me out to the gym where they were going to practice before they played their game. And last night, I actually had a, a call from that guy I remember, Dominic wrote about Orlando. He was the first great player I ever coached. That was about 60 years ago. And Ilanu called me. He lives in Chicago now, and it's quite amazing how players can grow up, and you can be so proud of them. I mean, I've never had any children of my own, but I figure, you know, we get a group of fifteen players or so every year, and that's maybe we're all worthwhile as far as I'm concerned.
1: Couldn't have. Wrapped it up any better, Coach? When you think about, you talked about Dom and Kevin and Johnny D coming down to visit you. Ross has talked about the zooms on Thursdays, the people that still want to keep in touch with you and your life and know how you're doing and and what's going on. Bigger than any Canada West title you could ever have, my man. And uh, thank you for being with us. Um, you're a great human, a humble individual, hardworking, um, and you've done so much for basketball in our province and across the country. We're grateful for you. Um, We'll be thinking of you. We wish you nothing but health and happiness. Thanks for checking out the podcast and supporting it. And, um, you know, on behalf of Corbin and myself, we love and appreciate you and all the best to you in in the future.
0: Thank you very much. The main part of this interview with Coach Enz was recorded on August 31st, and the day hadn't even finished before we got a follow-up email about some potential edits and him worrying that he was awkward. Obviously, you know now this is not the case. When Bruce stepped away from UBC in 2000, I was six years old. I hadn't really been exposed to any high-level of basketball at that point. Before this interview, I had never even heard Bruce speak. I don't know what it's like to be his assistant or to be around him or listen to him during a timeout, but based on the limited knowledge I knew of him, this sure sounded like the Bruce ends that I have come to learn. Someone whose body was betraying him, but with a mind as sharp as ever. After over 40 hours of editing this episode, I began to reread that email. There were some things he wished we could have gone over, specifically some ideas to help the younger coaches. Something for a future episode I might add. But for now, here are some of the thoughts Coach Enz shared with us, paraphrased slightly. Aaron and Corbin, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet up with many coaches and players that I know, and others I'd like to meet. I'm sure that many of your fans are like me, waiting eagerly all week for Friday nights to hear who might be featured this week. You guys have done a tremendous job of creating conversation, not only about basketball, but also a means whereby we can all learn from each other. I think you guys are really unique. Most hosts seem to tell us more about themselves and what they think about their own questions. You guys allow your guests to speak for themselves. I think it's astonishing that you never give the impression that you are bored or falling asleep. Which is true, we are never bored or falling asleep. I have always loved stories and books, and now I am a big podcast fan. Last week, I heard one of my favorites called On Being, hosted by Krista Tippett. She was interviewing a young black writer, Jason Reynolds, who told a story about how the Senegalese people in Africa, when they lose an elder in the community, they refer to the death as the burning of a library. In other words, all their personal stories disappear. Thank goodness that you guys are not only keeping our basketball stories alive and you are fostering a knowledge of our history and maybe some love for the elders in Canadian basketball. And this has not been lost on either Mitch or me, especially after the passing of Coach Goulet. We are tangentially aware that now this podcast is almost an historical archive of BC hoops and hopefully Canadian hoops. Lastly, I realize that you expect this podcast be about me, but I've got to tell you in advance that whatever credence or significance, my stories have come primarily from the fantastic people who I have been so fortunate and blessed to know and have had the opportunity to learn from. Thanks again, Aaron, Corbin, Dominic, and Ross for providing me this opportunity. Bruce sent from my iPad. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Hoop's Journey.